0: the date is friday december 11th and you're listening to entertain this a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment in this holiday special episode we all come together and learn that one of the most hated men in film history maybe doesn't deserve it alex invites us all to jump off the bandwagon for a minute and defend adam sandler so listen along with us and entertain this and i hope you enjoy
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting holiday episode of Entertain
2: This! <laughs>
1: yeah, yes, as always, I am Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And Nick had to remind us to introduce ourselves because we never do, but hopefully by <laughs> now, if this isn't your first episode, you remember who we are. Uh... Guys, it's the holiday season. You all know this. As soon as, uh, as soon as the turkey hits the table and uh, Santa Claus makes his way down whatever avenue in New York Macy's is on, <laughs> it's time for the holiday season, and we're allowed to, uh, we're allowed to play Christmas music. We're allowed to have Christmas feelings, uh, and it, you know, it's a time for peace. It's a time for family and for love, for giving, and all of these great things. Um, We all have memories of Christmas as a kid being that magical time of year where everything just felt okay. Um, No matter what was going on, just Christmas always felt like that time where everyone came together. Uh, Mm -hmm. That being said, Christmas is also a time for uh, things like uh, forgiveness, for Mm -hmm. uh, letting go of the past or maybe uh, finding the good in things that normally we would say were bad, Uh, and I believe that nobody on this planet deserves forgiveness more than a little Jewish boy from New York trying to make his way into the world. uh, And that boy is Adam Sandler. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hmm.
1: All right. All right. We all know Adam Sandler, the, the actor comedian who got his start on Saturday Night Live. Um, but today on this episode of entertain this, I ask you to, uh, giving that we have the Christmas spirit within us and thus the ability to, uh, kind of open our hearts, open our minds to forgiveness. Just hear me out as I try to finally defend Adam Sandler from the hundreds of thousands of millions of people who say that he is no good because <laughs> i believe he is
2: i'm excited for this you've been talking about this episode for a while yeah
1: i have this is an episode that i've wanted to do for a while but i was afraid to um because i could like go on about politics all day on this and like people will ignore me but i feel like if i talk about how adam sandler isn't as bad as people say that i have a greater chance of like people just being like fuck this guy <laughs> like I, could, I feel like i feel like i could get canceled for liking adam sandler before i could for talking about politics wow but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick my leg out there because it's the holiday season and i think someone needs to be on this guy's side so we're gonna talk about him so it's yeah. a good old scrooge,
2: scrooge redemption story
0: <laughs> well uh, i think there's like a there's a hate bandwagon going on there
1: maybe oh yeah no i mean we like just oh i hate adam sandler I mean the dude holds uh the three golden raspberry awards. You guys know what the golden raspberry is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The Razzies. It's like it's like the it's like the anti award show, which is something that we could do probably a whole episode on, but he has eleven Raspberry nominee like nominations. Like Sylvester Stallone technically has more nominations than he does, so just keep more? that in mind. <laughs> Yeah, he has more Raspberry nominations than Adam Sandler. But that being Impossible. said, Adam Sandler has the second most nominations out, out of every actor ever to exist. But everybody's been uh, awarded a Raspberry for something. But again, that's something that we.
2: Uh, I'm looking at the the little Wikipedia thing of like the Golden Razzies and like what he won, like worst actor for, and all that, and it's like okay, okay, okay. Let's calm ourselves down a little bit. I'm sure you're going to talk about it.
1: Okay, you're, you're talking about like the, like he didn't deserve those that he oh, was like, awarded? Like getting
2: worst actor for Big Daddy, uh, getting nominated <laughs> for Happy Gilmore and for The Water Boy. Yeah. It's like, come on now. That's not, and that's not okay.
1: <laughs> it's that kind of thing that we're going to hopefully defend Adam Sandler on today. Okay. So, Adam Sandler was, he was born in Brooklyn uh, to uh, Judy. Who was a nursing school, or yeah, a nursery school teacher. So she's uh, a nursery school teacher, and Stanley Sandler was an elect, an electrical engineer. So uh, his parents weren't like these big famous people in show business. So he wasn't just handed his in. His mom was a school teacher, and his dad was an electrician. Like he, he is what we all are, you know, just blue like collar. the son of two regular blue collar people. That's right. His family uh of course as i mentioned is of jewish descent uh from russian jewish immigrants on both sides um but sandler's family moved out of new york um to manchester new hampshire uh at the age of six and he attended a like regular high school then um and it was like his experiences from that high school that kind of got him into the arts and uh like acting and experiencing things outside of just like this religious uh education that he had been picking up uh before and he ended up actually graduating from new york university's school of the arts which is like a big prestigious like art school uh and that was in 1988 (laughs) which is pretty impressive uh for a guy with just two like blue collar like mom and dad um making his way like through all of the like hustle and bustle of New York to actually graduate from this like prestigious school of the arts and to go into acting, and he found success pretty quick. Uh, as he was casted as uh, Theo Huxtable's friend Smitty in the Cosby Show in 1987, which is the a year huh. before he actually graduated from the School of the Arts. So wow. he was on the Cosby Show, um, good, good and he hadn't him. even graduated yet. So, but he was like you know the comedic relief. Um, and he, like, got some other kind of side gigs in TV. Uh, he was, like, in an MTV game show called Remote Control, and, uh, eventually he got his film debut in a movie called Going Overboard, but it wasn't, like, a Adam Sandler movie, you know? So, it's not one that, like, you've heard of when you think Adam Sandler. He was, like, a background character in that. Hmm. Um, but... Adam Sandler, the point that I'm trying to make from going over his background is Adam Sandler came from nothing. Like he didn't have ties into anything uh, like SNL related. Like he came from the ground and worked his way up and he did it like the prestigious way that all comedians of the time did, which is he rode the the comedy club scene. which is what he did after like all of because around like 1989 his film and tv starings like those kind of dried up and Mm -hmm. he had to start basically performing at nightclubs as a comedian um, following like the likes of uh, so many other famous uh, comedians before him Uh, and it was in those nightclubs where he was actually discovered for saturday night live because they caught Sandler's act in a Los Angeles nightclub, and the producer came and saw it and hired him as a writer instead of an actor for SNL, and that was in (laughs) the 1990s. So he's this like, he's this basically this Jewish kid fresh fresh out of college. He's just like traveling around taking any jobs he can in these like shady nightclubs and like doing these comedy acts for like small groups of people. When he's finally discovered. And even when he is discovered, he's not discovered for his acting. Instead, it's his like comedy writing, which honestly is the dream for me, uh, for like my <laughs> my personal life uh, is if that ever happened, I would die. But like that doesn't really happen nowadays. Nowadays, it's more like who you know and how you can get in and like uh, like the comedy night scene, especially during times like these is kind of kaput, you know?
0: Yeah, it's non-existent almost.
1: Exactly. Yeah, So he actually became a feature, it's called Player, in SNL uh, in 1991, and he made a name for himself by performing uh, original songs on the show, which included the Thanksgiving song and a song called the Hanukkah song, Hanukkah spelled incorrectly, uh, <laughs> C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. That that um, might be the correct way to which spell it. Which in and of itself... Is a joke. Yeah. I don't think it is, but yeah. people will tell us. I know at least Chloe will tell us if <laughs> like, well, that actually, is the case.
0: Well actually it's uh it's fun with the Oh, it's a great joy. Chloe impression. Oh, it's not that's not supposed to be Chloe, that's just our fan base. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so here is here is everyone referenced in the Hanukkah song just because I think this is an entertaining factoid and our listeners might enjoy it. You The uh, hypothetical Jewish listener, me, Adam Sandler himself, uh, Mm -hmm. David Lee Roth, James Cann Kurt Douglas, (laughs) um, (laughs) Dinah Shore, uh, Paul Newman, uh, Captain Kirk, Spock, uh, the Seattle Supersonics are referred to as the Seattle Supersonicas, to rhyme it with Mm -hmm. Hanukkah. Oh,
0: that's that's clever.
1: Uh, O.J. Simpson... And uh, he basically is listing off all of the Jewish people who you might know and who you might appreciate. And he's basically going like Captain Kirk was a Jew. Spock was a Jew. The Seattle uh, Supersonics were Jewish. O.J. Simpson, not a Jew. And the audience all applaud like, yeah, he's not a Jew. So we're good. Um, uh, Harrison Ford, he claims. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, he described as not Jewish um tom cruise is a scientologist but he is mentioned in the song as also not being jewish um but he hears his agent is (laughs) yeah so So,
2: this whole song is supposed to be like a a joke but also still
1: like hey it's okay to be jewish it's basically like hey well i mean at the time being jewish was such like a in the like early 90s being jewish was it it was such a joke kind of Mm -hmm. like if you were jewish you were like a stereotype or like you were like you were thought of as being funny because you were jewish not because you were a person and he kind of broke that boundary like that barrier down and was like no like there are a bunch of people who are jewish that you don't even know are jewish uh and also there are a bunch of terrible people who aren't jewish so stop yeah. <laughs> with all the jokes
2: so do, do it, saying like hey stop with the jokes while also doing it in a joking manner.
1: Mm. Yeah, he's like, hey, cut it out with all the jokes, because you guys have O.J. Simpson, and he's Catholic, so (laughs) I don't know what you want from me.
2: Glove didn't
0: fit, just for the record.
1: Glove didn't fit, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. That's not going to be its own episode. We will not be going over the O.J. Simpson trials any time on this show. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So if you want that, I'm sure you can find another crime podcast that'll do that for you, but that's not going to be us. Um, On a separate kind of tree branch that uh, I feel is important to the structure of this story uh, at the time and kind of like way before even, but uh, Saturday night live had been ex- kind of experimenting with this idea of taking these uh, skits that they do on Saturday nights and uh, transforming them alchemy, like into uh hour, hour and a half long uh, feature length films. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of started with like the blues brothers and, uh, like Wayne's World, Coneheads, Wayne's World has sequel, things like that. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um and I I just want to describe kind of how a Saturday night live film feels because uh I feel like you're going to immediately get the kind of point that I'm trying to come across. So Saturday night live films are these uh really like character packed obviously like these larger than life characters like the the idiots and like the uh the like basically uh, silhouettes of what we see in uh, entertainment mm-hmm. And they are packed with like stories that move really quickly, jokes that basically come every two seconds. Um, this like overarching kind of strung together narrative of like a final message that basically is something simple. but also the more important part is they are packed full of uh, product placement. <laughs> examples of that are like like in wayne's world when they're talking about how they <laughs> will sign the contract but they're not going to be sellouts and while they're doing that they're like selling out to like pepsi like he's wearing a full like pepsi jumpsuit and he like cracks up and he's like <laughs> the drink of a generation and he like takes a drink of it um <laughs> and you'll see like watching these snl movies you'll see like uh like burger king signs randomly or like the actors will be holding like wendy's cups and the reason that that happens is uh, is because at the time the Saturday night live movies that were being made, um, some of which, uh, Adam Sandler actually wrote on, um, they were low budget, like super low budget. Uh, and the only way that they were able to like make the movies the way that they wanted to was by taking like a little bit from the studios that were paying them to make the movies and a lot of it from product placement and using that to kind of pay for the movie. Uh, So that's the kind of formula that SNL was going with when making movies like Night at the Roxbury or making movies like uh, like Superstar, which is a really famous one or like even Step Brothers kind of falls into that kind of category of movies that came off of the spin of SNL. Um, And the reason that I bring all that up is because uh, Adam Sandler, after being kind of not necessarily kicked off, but asked to leave SNL in uh nineteen ninety-five, he kinda started his own production company called the uh Happy Madison uh production company, where he started making his own films. And this kind of uh formula of taking a little bit from the company and taking a lot of it from product placement ended up being like one of the staples of keeping his film going. Um and that scene like immediately out of the like first couple films that they make from this new production company that he made uh in 1999 so only four years yeah only four years after coming off of the uh snl train like movies like uh one of the first ones that he made was called deuce bigelow male gigolo um never heard the product placement is more okay You can look it up, you can watch it. This episode's not about that, so we're not talking about it. Okay, Uh, move on. (laughs) Carry on, please. Uh, But, like, water, Waterboy is another one of their early films, and it's obvious in Waterboy, because, you know, Gatorade's literally sang at uh, the audience like eight or nine times. He's just drinking the wrong water. There's so many quotable lines from these movies. Oh, my God, they're Um, so good. (laughs) They made, in in 2000, only a year after... uh, only a year after being made, they they made Little Nicky, which is something that I recently rewatched. And in that one, you get the line, uh, "Cain's chicken is the shit." <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> it is. So there's that, and it Cain's is. chicken is pretty. Or no, it's Popeye's chicken. He says Popeye's chicken is the shit. Uh, and Cain's and is pretty good too. He, you see Popeye's chicken. Still holds. Yeah, they're both good. You yeah, see Popeye's holds chicken pop up uh, a lot in that as well. And he kind of uses this product placement to pay for these movies. Um, Again, this is all to lead to my ultimate uh, defense against uh, what people are saying about Adam Sandler. So just keep all that in mind as we move forward. Okay, okay. So now I want to kind of delve more into the uh, filmography that he made that people say are bad. And I want to talk about these films and give brief descriptions of them and then go into why they are good uh and why they are pieces of art rather than just films that are being thrown out Mm. um and i want to start this conversation with mr deeds which i feel is a pretty good starting point so uh have you guys seen mr deeds oh yeah nope okay uh Nick, you have not seen Mr. Deeds. I imagine there are going to be a lot of things on this. You're a very sheltered boy, you little closet boy. (laughs) uh, And you you hid away from all of entertainment, and that's why we brought you on the show. Uh, (laughs) So let's start with Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds, here's the basic plot of Mr. Deeds, and I'm going to sum it up pretty quick, not to waste too much time. Uh, Adam Sandler plays uh, a character known as Longfellow Deeds, but he asks everyone to just call him Deeds. Um, And... (laughs) Longfellow Deeds is the uh, sole heir to a multi-billion dollar, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Company? Um, Basically, the money, no, the money is given to the next heir uh, of this estate. So he's the multi-billion dollar estate. He is the sole heir to a billionaire named Preston Blake, and he basically gets all of this money, and the uh, the plot kind of revolves around the couple of days that they take uh, Longfellow Deeds out of this little ho-dunk town that he lives in, working at a pizzeria and writing Hallmark cards, uh, and take him to New York, uh, where he has to kind of finish up with the paperwork to get this money. And you find that Longfellow Deeds is kind of this uh, this very sweet man who is very uh he's very well-intentioned though uh he's very hot-tempered so there are a couple of situations that happen in new york that uh you know most people nobody would bat an eye if they saw but because he's come into this uh kind of spotlight into this fame from being the guy who gets this multi-billion dollar uh inheritance that uh he's like getting the attention of the media he's getting the attention of all of like the investors of this company that he's also inheriting um and he's basically risking the company though he's just being himself and he doesn't quite see the connection between his actions and the company um they're also underlining plots of uh his love interest in it who's played by winona ryder Uh, who is a reporter named Babe Bennett is going undercover to try to like break this giant story for the tabloids and is basically manipulating deeds the entire time to try to get this like story out of him and make him look like an idiot so that she could sell more tabloids and get a promotion at her job. And there are uh, people who work for the company who basically think that they can take the company, sell it all off now that uh, Preston Blake is dead and like make a huge profit off of it and basically none of this is told to deeds and the kind of climax of the movie comes when he finds all of this out his heart is broken and he just wants to go back to mandrake falls where his pizzeria is leave all of it behind and just let whatever happens happens uh and that's kind of where uh we're left as the film reaches its climax and i don't want to spoil it even though i probably should be able to (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I won't spoil it for you, Nick, because this because uh, this this podcast is called "Entertain This." So if you want to, you can go watch it. It's a really great movie. Um, but that being said, this is one of the movies that Adam Sandler gets fucking dunked on all the time. <laughs> it came out in 2002, so this is three years after he started this production company. Three years into it, he makes a uh, he makes a, a movie called Mr. Deeds, and he's getting fucking dunked on. Not to mention, like, Mr. Deeds was actually a remake of a 1936 Frank Capra film called Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, which Hmm. was based on a 1935 short story called Opera Hat. So, like, he had, like, this is a classic story that he just kind of modernized, and people are still like, this is stupid,
0: this is lame, (laughs) this is dumb. Are
2: there, like, any, like... Yeah so b- besides like those general like are there any like specific complaints that people have against it like like yes. oh, I don't and the yeah.
1: complaints the complaints go into the fact that they're saying that Adam Sandler and this is a huge complaint about Adam Sandler movies is that Adam Sandler is a sellout. And here's <laughs> why. Really. They say that he makes this movie, right? He didn't have like any real interest in making the movie he didn't like want to put his heart and soul into it this wasn't art for adam sandler they said this was a cash grab because all adam sandler did was cast all of his friends in it give all of his friends a paycheck and then on top of the box office sales he also got sponsorships for this movie from wendy's which they eat in the plane or in the helicopter and they talk up wendy's as they're flying to new york from uh mandrake falls in new hampshire uh and he talks about hawaiian punch because it is coming out of the fountain in uh blake preston's estate in new york yeah they're like Hmm. adam sandler's a huge sellout all he's wanting to do is make money this film doesn't mean anything and i want to argue that yeah i was gonna say i don't think that's true that seems
2: overblown that seems like a crazy take to me
0: yeah, what's wrong with making a buck off a movie? People do it all the time.
1: And you know what? I I honestly think the point that people miss isn't the fact that he made money off this, because yes, he made money off of it. It had a budget of fifty million dollars and he made hundred and seventy one point three million dollars. So yeah, he Pretty made money off of it. Pretty solid. If he if he took a loss, they would still be complaining. But the point that I want to make and what I want to kind of stress in defending this specific movie and Adam Sandler as a whole is he absolutely had skin in the game when making this movie, because at its core, this is a movie about some nobody from New Hampshire being forced into the spotlight and not knowing how to behave under those stressful like situations and messing it up and doing his best to be a good person and to do what's right at the end of the day mm-hmm. that's what this whole movie is about i get
2: the connection and you I cannot
1: see you cannot tell me that adam sandler didn't as he was writing the script go god it's great that i finally get to talk about this it's great that i finally get to put out into the world how difficult it is to be someone who was just a normal person who was forced into the spotlight
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the like the forced into the spotlight thing because like he did choose to go on SNL and continue doing that and then create his own production company. Like, yeah. I, I don't but it's not really like I don't see that as like really the big point of it. It's it's like you're saying it's it's all about the um how does someone from a Hodunk little area who doesn't have that experience become someone in the spotlight
1: well looking back to the movie and here's like my counter argument to that even though you're really not arguing but my counter argument would be (laughs) in the movie he understands kind of what he's getting into he doesn't understand uh to what extent the tabloids will go to to what extent the people who are trying to screw him over will go to and how much is actually being hidden from him And I think that's kind of what he was thrown into was he he, no one quite understands the extent of becoming famous, the tabloids constantly being after you, because one of the reasons that he got kicked off of SNL was because he was kind of a party guy. Like he uh, he did some crazy stuff and like especially he was like really good friends with Chris Farley and was like in that kind of escapade of Chris Farley kind of going downhill and they were constantly in the tabloids for being like these. No good, like, bad boy, party boy, like, druggies. Like, that's what they were known for. That's what the tabloids called them. And I'm sure that that hurt, especially coming off of, like, the death of Chris Farley, which we all know hit Adam Sandler super hard. Yeah. Like, people still being like, Chris Farley was a big drug addict, so yeah, like, what do you think was going to happen? Like, that shit probably affected Adam Sandler pretty bad. My, My main argument for this entire episode is... Adam Sandler is a man with depression who is doing his best to cope with it through making films. Honestly, and that yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. That is the point that I'm driving home here. And this is just our first little taste into that world that he is experiencing and trying to make light of by making these comedies. Um, and we will continue on from there into the kind of next film that I want to talk about. Another, like, big movie. Uh, that everybody knows about, um which which we've already mentioned. Um and we're gonna talk about Big Daddy next. Hell yeah.
0: <laughs> Love me. <laughs> this has Big nothing Daddy. to do with Bioshock, right?
1: No, this is before Bioshock, so oh, okay. stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this Thanks, is what nineteen ninety eight or so or ninety five? So so this is nineteen ninety nine. And the reason why I didn't talk about this one first is because uh, I wanted you to kind of get the mindset of Adam Sandler and I feel like Mr Deeds uh really kind of puts that into a frame of, like, what he wants to do with his films, which is just, like, talk about these things that he doesn't know how to talk about because he isn't a serious guy. Like, he is a funny guy, but he has all of these things that he wants to talk about and just can't figure out the right way to do it. Uh, And we see that again kind of at Big Daddy. Uh, Have we seen Big Daddy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Nick. Nick Nick has not seen Big Daddy. (laughs) See, Nick, Nick, you're going to be one of those people who, like... You're going to be one of those people who are like, I don't like Adam Sandler. I don't think he's that funny. But then you're like, hey, what have you seen? And you're like, I've seen Grown Ups and I've seen Jack and Jill.
0: I've never <laughs> seen, like, okay, I've Yeah, I've then. seen pixels. You're right, but. I'm not here to say bad things about Adam Sandler because frankly, I haven't seen enough of his movies. So no, I, I have frankly, no strong you're feelings nice, You're way. too
2: nice of a guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't have strong feelings.
1: You're wise enough to know that you haven't seen as many of his movies, so you can't make those assumptions. But there are a lot of people out there who like will make that argument that Adam Sandler is trash and all Adam Sandler movies. It's like, are well, bad. how many movies have you and watched? Then you're like, what have Nine. you seen? <laughs> uh, I've, well, I've seen a couple of the Netflix trailers. It's like, I saw anyway, Happy Gilmore uh,
2: on Comedy Central this one time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Shut up, uh, Michael. If you wouldn't mind, do you wanna do you wanna give a brief summary of Big Daddy for me?
2: Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Um, so. Great. Big Daddy is a movie about uh, essentially Adam Sandler, uh, as if yeah. he is not famous, uh, but is living in downtown New York, I believe. Who ends mm. up through some circumstances becoming the foster father of a young boy, um, the young boy who actually is acted by Cole and Dylan Sprouse um, of uh, what? that, yeah, of uh, the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody fame that's crazy yep. uh,
1: and it's both so, of them they they take turns filming uh, kind mm-hmm. of full house style
2: oh yeah and so the story is about how Adam Sandler his character um, not n- not wanting anything to do with this kid but through the process of having to take care of him ends up uh, becoming the real father figure to this child and it's him learning. Uh, how to take care of the kid because at first like the kid like pees in the bed and Adam Sandler's like well, go clean it up and he's like I don't know how I don't know how to clean it up and so Adam Sandler he doesn't know how to clean it up either so he just spreads a bunch of newspapers out um, <laughs> and then he like teaches the kid like how to read and then through all of that I'm not gonna spoil the ending but some circumstances come up and Adam Sandler has to fight for wanting to take care of the kid hmm and it's a re- it's actually like it's a really funny and still like a very feel-good sh- movie
1: yeah absolutely and again we see things like uh one of the places where uh like the roommate of adam sandler's girlfriend works is hooters mm-hmm. um and we see all of those product placement we see mcdonald's they try to go get the mcdonald's breakfast and find out that uh, mcdonald's breakfast ends at ten thirty and not 11 30 and um I think Panda Express is mentioned as well as, like, a delivery guy or something. But uh, all of those kind of uh, product placement, again, come into fruition, and people are like, oh, he's a sellout, he's just making it for the cash grab, and that argument is used yet again when uh, talking about this movie. And that's kind of why I talked about the SNL films, is because, like, Adam Sandler is building this production company from the ground up, and he's doing it the way that he's seen success, which is through SNL, who has, like, this... Uh, formula of working with companies and using product placement to pay for these movies because he knows they're good stories, Um, but he kind of pollutes his own stories by kind of going into uh, this product placement kind of a a door, you know?
0: Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, that's, like, not the only thing... Like, he's not doing this by himself. A ton of other movies have used product placement, like Back to the Future, for instance. Like... He says, yeah. "Can I have a Pepsi?" But like sorry, suddenly, I only have his Coke.
2: Yeah. Well, and like I would I would also argue like the way that he's able to it's not like it's shoehorned in. Like he he uses no. like like the McDonald's one, I think is a really good way of showing in this movie like hey, he's out of touch. Like he doesn't keep up with stuff. Like it, it contributes to the character and the situation and still is very funny.
0: Yeah. Like if you're going to go after him for product placement, pick a different argument because everybody else does it and it's not like you have to single one thing out, you know?
1: Right. Um, so to kind of start to delve into the, uh, the, the deeper meaning of big daddy, I think it's important to understand what it's like to grow up wanting to be an actor, especially in a kind of Jewish household. Um, because it's not easy. Uh, an important part in this plot is that before Sonny, who is Adam Sandler's character, um before he like became this kind of layabout lazy guy who like never does anything, He was a lawyer. Um, he graduated law school and instead of like being a lawyer and like doing the law thing, he became a toll booth attendant and like he doesn't talk to his parents anymore and his parents uh like don't check in on him at all during like most of the movie uh you hear from his dad like once on a phone call where his dad's like where he calls dad he's like i made something of myself i adopted my son he's gonna be way better than like anything like you ever made me because i'm gonna let him do what he wants and like there's this outcry of like why can't i just do what i want like why can't i be what i want to be And I think that comes from a real place for Adam Sandler as he was like growing up. And um, I think as equally as Adam Sandler plays like Sonny, this 32 year old slacker, I think like from another point of view, Adam Sandler is also the child like who feels abandoned and like just wants to express himself and is scared. And um, it's kind of this thought experiment of what would happen if I just would have been given the reins to my own life. Because that's kind of a big plot in it is I'm just going to let this kid do what he wants. And I'm going to be here to teach him some stuff along the way. Um, hmm. And eventually it kind of loops back around. And he has to like take on the like law that he studied to try to keep the kid. And they find loopholes around it. And it's a happy ending at the end. Again, I don't want to spoil it. But um, kind of the lesson to be learned is everything always works itself out. You just have to let it. Um, and I think that that's kind of the point that he was trying to drive home to the audience is that at the end of the day uh no matter what happens in your life eventually it will work out even if it's like trying if they're trying to force something else upon you um and you could say that that's a stretch but if you watch that movie with that in mind there's so many obvious like points where it's son against parent it's like sunny against his dad or it's Uh, Frankenstein against Sonny, or Frankenstein against uh, the, like, actual, like, adoption agency, or even, like, in that one little moment where they're talking to who they call Crazy Eyes, which is the guy who's sitting in front of the McDonald's and uh, who Frankenstein keeps asking questions to, he, like, goes down a line of questions with Crazy Eyes and eventually gets to the point where Crazy Eyes is like, well, my dad wanted me to be this, but I decided not to be, so I became a hobo. Like, it's sprinkled (laughs) out throughout it that, like, and and at the end of the the end of the movie, he gets the entire courtroom to call their parents. Like they call their dad, they get on the phone with their parents, and they like apologize for arguing and like being shitheads. And like that's the climax of the movie. Like that's the yeah. lesson to be taken away.
2: Clarification, real quick. Uh, he is not Steve Buscemi, who appears in lots of Adam Sandler movies, is not Crazy Eyes in this one. That's Mr. Deeds. In this one, he's just a homeless guy. With crazy eyes? I think he might... No, I think... I don't think he has crazy eyes in in Big Daddy. It's been a while.
1: Uh, I'm going to Google it.
2: Yeah, because oh, I remember all the quotes uh, from... Uh, which, like, that's one of the things. All these movies, incredibly quotable. Uh, and that, oh, yeah. to me, makes fantastic movie, no matter how good it actually is. Because um, in Mr. Deeds, it's like... He goes out to his house, uh, out in like the winter and all that. And someone almost dies or something. And there's like, Hey, why didn't you do anything to help? I was like, what the fuck? I thought we were watching Scooby-Doo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he does not have crazy eyes in this. Good call. Good clarification.
2: But that kind of goes into like one of the other arguments of like that you touched on earlier that he just hires his friends. Cause like, yeah, like it's, it's a it's lot of very like, recurring character recurring actors.
1: Yeah 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 you see a lot of uh steve buscemi in it um rob reiner see if i can find not rob reiner rob Rob schneider schneider rob yeah rob Rob, yes (laughs) rob schneider uh not rob reiner to be correct uh there are also some like lesser known actors who like are always in adam sandler films did you know that um
2: uh john stewart is in uh big daddy
1: the, John yeah, he's the roommate. He is the actual father of Frankenstein.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, Nick, uh Frankenstein is the name of the kid. His his chosen yeah. name. His his real because, first name is Julian. He, he
1: yes. He asks him what he wants to be called, and he says he wants to be called Frankenstein. So that's what right. he lets him do.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia yeah. article so right now. It's like, oh, it's Frankenstein. I was like, oh, there we go. Connect the dots. Yeah. <laughs> I'd want to be called Frankenstein.
1: Next, I want to talk uh, briefly about Click, and then we'll finally end on the the big the big star of the show, which is Eight Crazy Nights, which kind of brings everything together in this incredible way that's like this is what Adam Sandler wanted from the beginning.
0: So before you get into all that, the overarching theme here is that Adam Sandler isn't writing these stories like about anyone else. he's just writing about himself in an autobiographical kind of way. Is that what you're getting at here
1: I don't. I don't want to make that claim because that claim feels too big. What I'm saying is, is that when people write films and people produce films, they work with what they know. Mm -hmm. And in a way, these important kind of lessons that Adam Sandler wants to teach with these movies all can be traced back to the fact that Adam Sandler is using comedy to work through a lot of shit. Yeah. And I think that there is something to that, that, there's a certain level of heart to each of these movies that people are claiming are bad that almost redeem them because when you look at them the way Adam Sandler wanted you to, and you see past kind of the garbage of what people throw on top of it to make it seem like it's a bad movie, these movies are really human and like really great um, mm-hmm. because of how like desperately he is using comedy to express these greater thoughts and i think click is one of those ones where he like if there's like that meme where it's like uh small mind big mind universe mind (laughs) I (laughs) I i think i think i think i think small mind would be um mr deeds big mind would be big daddy and then universe mind would be click yeah. I, and yeah. here's why. <laughs> I I've actually seen Click. Hearing why. Yeah, I'm with you. You have seen Click. Great. Do, seen you, Click. do you want to try to give us a plot summary of Click, Nick? Nope. <laughs> no? <laughs> okay. Well, I it's appreciate been too long. you trying. If you want, I
2: can do this one, too. You want to go ahead and do it, Michael? Yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll do it. Uh, so click is click is a movie about Adam Sandler, uh, who is playing a uh, an architect for like a really big firm, like family man lives out in the suburbs and all that, um, and him uh, wanting to just try to find enough time to get everything he needs to get done throughout the day, and one day while he is walking the halls of Bed Bath and Beyond, he goes <laughs> from the bed section to the bath section and then is taken to the Beyond section. Uh, in the Beyond the door section, labeled
1: Beyond, yeah,
2: wow. <laughs> in the Beyond <laughs> section, he is given a uh, magical blue remote that allows him to essentially control uh, the world around him, uh, and he's able to do things like fast forward through certain things, a pause, or yada yada yada. Typical remote functionality. Slow mo is a very famous one from that movie that I remember uh, from uh, my childhood. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, but the, the problem ends up being is that this remote, uh, while it provides all this convenience, it has an inbuilt like, memory function where it essentially detects like, oh, you want to fast forward through this. Well, now you have to fast forward through this every time you experience it. So it Ooh, starts with like... It's got
1: built-in AI. It's yeah, It's supposed yeah. to be like user-friendly in the way that it kind of adjusts to make your life easier.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. So there's things like he fast forwards his like... Uh, his uh, routine to uh like get ready in the morning so that he can make it to work on time, and then every single morning it fast forwards through that, and he doesn't have like any memory of what happens during that fast forwarding period and then there's like one time where he fast forwards through because he's trying to get a project done for work fast forwards through sex with his wife every time he has yep. sex with his wife now it is in fast forward and happens in like less than a minute that's a real shame, yep, yeah. And then eventually he ends up uh, wanting to, I believe, fast forward until he gets a promotion for work. And he yeah. ends up... He
1: says, I'm going to fast forward. Yeah. Because he's like, next year you're going to make partner. And like he thinks everything in his life is going to go great once he makes partner.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he fast forwards until he becomes partner and he misses out on like at, like four... Like, years and years and years of his life, essentially, and, like, misses out. finds out, out,
1: basically, yeah, that his boss was keeping him on the line and wasn't actually gonna make him partner until, like, 14 years later. So he ends up skipping way more time than he intended to.
2: Yep. And the problem ends up being is that when he's fast-forwarding, the only thing that he is doing, because he doesn't actually remember anything, is completely solely dedicated to what he is trying to do. So... During that entire, like, 14-year period, he is completely devoted to becoming partner and forgets, like, everything else going on in his life. Uh, And that leads to a bunch of, like, strained family relationships and uh, is, like, the main plot-driving sequence in the movie, uh, which is actually very heartbreaking at the end.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. this is like one of the moments where I started looking into all of Adam Sandler's shit. And this is kind of the moment that this entire episode was based off of. Um, and it's the moment where, uh, his father who is being played by the Fonz, um, Mm. he, he walks in, he walks into the office where Adam Sandler is working. And when Adam Sandler is being fast forwarded by the remote, he goes into what's called autopilot mode, which means he does the like basic necessity, and like blocks everything else out and uh basically doesn't pay attention to anything he's still responsive he's not like in a vegetated state just like he's going in autopilot Mm -hmm. um and his dad walks in he's like hey do you want to like come spend time with me do you want to come like take your son to a baseball game with me and he like yells at his dad he's like just go go and he's like oh come on like don't be like that let me show you this quarter trick that like i've showed you a thousand times and uh adam sandler's character goes i know about the quarter trick i know it's a trick coin i know that you bite it and then you spit it back out i know how it all works it's not real magic now you need to leave and his father walks out uh and starts to cry and as he's crying it pauses and adam sandler's character is then stuck with this godlike uh character played by uh christopher walken actually um kind of looking at his father who is like crying and cussing himself out in the past it's like christopher walken's like he he can't hear you like there's nothing you could do this has already happened it can't be undone um and it's this heartbreaking scene where like he realizes that by putting everything else first and by going into autopilot he didn't live his life and he missed out on so much and now his father's dead and he's like That's what prompted him to go back to this moment was he was like, show me the last moment I had with my dad. And you learn that this is the last time he saw his dad before his dad died. And it's like this really heartbreaking scene where you're like, oh, man, like he just lost someone that he really loved so he, he eventually comes out of it and, you know, there's this like view, basically overview of like this little boy that he had at the beginning of the movie has now grown up to become a man and the man's now working for the company and he's also going for partner and he's like following the exact uh, step-by-step path that Adam Sandler's character took that eventually led him to be this asshole that he hates. Um, hmm. And he's like trying to convince his son like family is important, like you need to worry about your family, like, um and you need to like take care of your sister and you need to take care of your mom and his wife has divorced him at this point he basically has nothing and the movie's kind of that's like the climax of the movie and again i'm not going to ruin it i keep stopping at the climax because i if you haven't seen it i want you guys to go watch these with what in mind what i'm talking about um but the reason why this movie kind of resonated with me and made me start looking into things is because uh there's this uh I, I want to say it's a, a mental health defense that can develop in people. Um, I wouldn't say it's a disorder. I would say it's kind of a defense mechanism that has negative consequences. It's called disassociation. Um, it's known as dissociation disorder. Uh, but again, it's extremely common. So I don't want to, like, paint any kind of red flag on it. But the way that dissociation works is basically um, people who go through traumatic events or... Uh, are just generally depressed, go into these states of, like, a zombie-like kind of an attitude where they just, like, live their day-to-day. They don't do anything meaningful. They don't make meaningful connections with the things around them. Everything feels mundane. Everything feels boring. Uh, and in doing this, they lose connection with people. They fall into depressive states. They sleep for long periods of time. They start missing out on... um engaging experiences with other people and missing deadlines. And uh, it's one of the like telltale signs of depression. And though the remote is like this magical device and this autopilot mode is like a kind of kind of a, a backlash to using this remote at the end of the day, the fast forward function on the remote is nothing but disassociation in the real world. When he fast forwards, he disassociates to a point where he's no longer dissociating again. And though at first he's using it just to like get through the boring stuff, eventually his dissociation takes over his entire life to the point where he actually hasn't done anything. He doesn't have any meaningful connection with his kids or like anything because everything seems so hard. It was just easier to crawl inside of himself And dissociate through it. If you took the remote out of this movie, you could still make this movie. And it would be an extremely sad movie about a man who was depressed, overworked himself, disassociated, ruined all of his relationships in his life, including with his wife and kids and parents, and woke up one day from this dissociative dream to realize that he had nothing left, and then he dies. Like, that's the movie without the remote hmm and that is extremely depressing. oh yeah, but this is this is a comedy well it's it's labeled a comedy drama, um, which is I've talked about in the past that's what people talked about uh, waiting for Godot. they said that that was a comedy drama as well. And I was confused at the time like how can something be a comedy in a drama? But like through Adam Sandler, you discover that like it's because the drama and the heartbreak is hidden through the coping mechanism that is the comedy. Like, through the use of these jokes, the comedy basically covers up the fact that this is sad. And I think Adam Sandler probably was going through stuff like this at the time, especially because he had just gotten married, he had just uh, had his first of his two kids, and this is the last movie in the Adam Sandler's renaissance, I would say. He did a couple of films after, and like, yeah, he did like uh grown-ups and all that they weren't him though they weren't his heart in them they were things that he was in with his friends and those movies yeah sure you could be like these are bad And like jack and jill again i feel like this was the last movie that he put his heart into and it's because this movie had him realize i need to spend time with my family like i need to stop focusing so much on what people are saying about me and how many like bad awards i've gotten and like how many bad movies people say I've made, stop trying to prove myself to these people because I need to spend time with my family and I need to stop focusing so much on my career. And he does like animated work after this. He did like hotel, uh, Transylvania and stuff like that. But I think this was the last movie until like his kids kind of grew up and started acting with him. Uh, they were in his Halloween special that just came out on Netflix, Hubie Halloween. His kids are in that. Um, because he wanted to spend time raising his kids and he didn't want to fall into this depressive state that he had been in for so long. And he wanted to get help and get out of it. Um, I would talk about, uh, I don't really have the time to, but I would talk about um, anger management because that movie is so (laughs) big on like it. It's funny, but it's also so big on like therapy works and like, you can't not go to therapy. Like, you have to go to therapy you have to put in the work you can't just expect things to change that's like the big message of it is until you realize that there's a problem until you go and you get help for it you won't get like you won't get better um and like you can see throughout his filmography as like adam sandler changes as a person and so many of these movies are like step by step the process in which he took to do that so, with all that being said, let's sum this up in a kind of a holiday style by finally talking about Eight Crazy Nights, <laughs> which, again, I feel is like the the Adam Sandler movie where he took all of these premises and he wrapped them all into one tight-wrapped Hanukkah bow. But doing it, doing it in a way that only animation can, can Exactly, Exactly. Because, because this film, though it is a musical, though it is an animated film... This film shows Adam Sandler at his worst, at his turning point and at his best. Yeah. Um, throughout his life. So let's go ahead and talk about eight crazy nights real quick. So eight crazy nights is, uh, it's kind of a Hanukkah call to, or it's a Hanukkah response to the call of all of the Christmas movies that you've ever seen. Um, and the the basic premise of it is that uh, Adam Sandler is playing a Jewish boy, um, and he has this heartbreaking backstory of um, his parents died in I think a house fire, from what I can mm. remember. Or no, car it was a car accident. crash, but then there was a then there was a house fire after that. Uh, The whole thing is
2: that he plays a character named Davey. Uh, Davey grew up, was a star basketball player on the community team. uh, And for his last game, uh, for their last game, he uh, wanted to... um, Essentially, he, he was a very good kid and wanted to spread the ball around and let everyone else... Uh, play, but everyone else was terrible and so they would lose the game um, every single time and, but the one time for the last game they let Davey just play and he ended up winning like the game and scoring like 80 points or something crazy uh, but on the way to that game his parents died in a car crash um, and the what it ends up becoming is a movie about Davey learning how to deal with this, learning how to accept others' help learning how to um, just be a good person again. Um, all all in the span of... Uh, or all in the take of Adam Sandler's absurdist comedy uh, in animated form.
1: Yeah, so basically he has eight nights after being arrested uh, for refusing to pay his restaurant at Mr. Chang's Chinese restaurant and attempting to evade arrest. Uh, he steals a snowmobile, destroys an ice sculpture in process. And basically at the trial, um, he is forced... Or a 70 year old volunteer referee from Davey's former basketball league that uh, Michael had mentioned um, suggests that instead Davey do community service as a referee and training for uh, the youth basketball league that he used to participate in. And uh, under the terms of the community service, if Davey commits a uh, crime before his sentence is complete, he will serve 10 years in prison. And that's like the stake uh, yeah. that we see him in. And it's through like living with uh, Whitey, who is the uh, referee who lives with his sister. Both incredible characters. Yeah. Uh, And again, we see the product placement of like Dunkin Donuts and all of that. Um, But actually, there's a scene in the mall that is famously known as being the reason people hate Adam Sandler. It's because (laughs) every single store in the mall is a real store. That's actually true. People are like, this movie sucks because all it is is an advertisement for every store in this mall because they all get a song like every every store gets involved in this song or the mascots from the songs do but again we're seeing past that we're pushing that to the side because at the end of the day this is about uh as kind of michael was saying this is about adam sandler uh going from being this like trashy human being that he was during his snl days and learning how to be a good person again through like losing people and though in real life it was chris farley who he lost um he kind of sums it up as his parents in this mm-hmm. and like the the love and respect of his parents like I don't know Adam Sandler personally so I can't speak for him but I imagine that there's some sort of a, a uh, long standing kind of a stress between him and his parents um, that he looked to kind of fix um, but but yeah just like and, and kind of as I was saying it's at the end of the day it's this giant envelope that you can stick all of Adam Sandler's lessons in Sorry, Cleo's crying in the background. Um, <laughs> Poor baby. But she's, it's this th- she's thinking about eight can... crazy nights. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it's it's this envelope that you can stick all of Adam Sandler's lessons in about like just wanting to be like yourself and not letting um, mental illness control you or let, not letting trauma control you or your choices or like appreciating your family while you have them and the people who care about you. These are all the things that he's been trying to teach us from day one. And finally in eight crazy nights, I feel like he hits every single one of them and he spends the time to finally get all of these messages across and kind of sum up who he is as a filmmaker. Um, You don't see a lot after like these movies that Adam Sandler is like truly in or like truly puts his heart into but i mean there are a thousand other examples these are just the ones that i chose um but it kind of gives you this idea of who adam sandler is and what he wants to put out into the universe which is all good things like all of his cinematography at its core they're good lessons yeah some of them are like dumb in the way that uh he like jokes about it or in the way that he kind of deals with what he's trying to say but i mean i'm guilty of that too like if i'm being serious with people rarely am i able to not crack a joke in the middle of it like rarely am i not able to make a joke out of something that is serious because it's easier to deal with things when you're laughing than it is when you're crying and i think that's what adam sandler is doing for everyone so that's it that's what i have to say about adam sandler go watch his movies god damn it don't just let your hipster boyfriend or girlfriend tell you that they're shit and then go watch bird bird box again don't do it it's not worth it go go have a good time go have a good holiday season go watch eight crazy nights and feel damn it go feel for for adam sandler and adam sandler if you ever listen to this just know i'm on your side buddy i'm here for you and i'm rooting for you And if I was wrong about your past And I just read too deep into your movies Don't tell a goddamn soul Because people are (laughs) definitely going to go watch your movies after this
0: Keep it to yourself
1: Keep it to yourself But email me We can hook up, we can have lunch That's it, when we get back uh, Michael's going to take us on a a journey uh, In his quick this Very
2: good journey, yes
1: Excellent Alright, we'll be right back
2: Welcome back everyone to this week's Quick This where I am going to be talking about uh, something that is near and dear to my heart that is going to further cement uh, myself within our podcast as the absolute weeb that I am. Uh, uh, we're going to be <laughs> talking this. about
1: We're going to be talking about chance to do it.
2: Weekly Shonen Jump. Uh, so do you guys know what Shonen Jump, shonen jump is?
1: Shonen Jump. Yeah, there you go. Uh, no. Only because you told us before, before Oh yes, you told us what it was. Yeah, I forgot that so, I did yeah. that. So um, yeah, we know, but only because of you.
2: So, Shonen Jump, you listeners out there might have seen before. You either are like an avid manga reader, or uh, you might be thinking back to um, the Scholastic like book fairs that we had as kids. Uh, for me, the one that I always look forward to with those Scholastic book fairs was uh, getting a book called Shonen Jump. Uh, Shonen Jump is a weekly shonen manga magazine. It is the most popular best-selling magazine uh, and is one of the longest running out there. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know, a manga is essentially a Japanese graphic novel. Um, And Shonen Jump focuses primarily on uh, stories that are written for uh, audiences of uh, younger males. Uh, And... Shonen Jump is actually where most of the really famous like anime that we remember growing up uh, came from like Dragon Ball Z, uh, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, One Piece, um, all of these extremely famous things that are now like uh, main culture stays uh, or even Naruto. Naruto is another one uh, main culture stays uh, that we all know of today, uh, whether or not you follow like anime or manga Pretty much, you can ask pretty much anyone, they know what those are. Um, So, Shonen Jump uh, is very important in regards to like animation as well as for just general uh, culture, uh, especially in Japan. Uh, Manga in Japan is a major, major form of entertainment that uh, is a lot more important to them as it is to us in the West. Uh, And I kind of wanted to bring your attention. Um, a bit of a problem that is happening uh, because of Shonen Jump. Um, Shonen Jump uh, is... Uh, it, the best way I can explain this is that the, it is a weekly magazine. Uh, weekly magazines require uh, the authors of these stories to submit uh, individualized chapters for the release and the publication every single week. What this means is, is that these writers are also known as mangaka. These are people who are writing the story, who are also drawing the illustrations as well, um, have to, uh, on a weekly basis, come up with a new chapter. And if you have seen some of these chapters, it requires a lot of storyboarding. It requires uh, actually creating the artwork that goes into the actual publication. And the schedule that is required for that is absolutely insane. Uh, let me walk you through real quick what that actually looks like. Uh, from Sunday at... This is this is actually coming from a sample schedule that was reported by an anonymous uh, manga artist. Uh, from Sunday at 10 until Monday at 5 o'clock in the morning, they are working with no breaks. They then get two hours of sleep from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., eat breakfast, and then from 9 to, um, to 6 o'clock at night, they are back to working, and this just repeats over and over and over again where they are just working, only getting uh two to six hours of sleep a night, and otherwise they have absolutely zero free time. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> it's like stories shop stuff. of essentially, yeah, and there's stories of people who um. Get sick all the time uh, because of these working conditions. They only get paid like a hundred dollars per. And don't quote me on this because I couldn't actually find the real number, but besides like speculative numbers, but um, like a hundred dollars per chapter. Um, so like getting paid a hundred dollars a week to dedicate almost your entire life to this, and it's it's a really really giant problem. Um, these people that are creating these frankly masterful works that we're uh getting to that are entertaining us on a weekly basis um that become some of the most fond, fondly remembered stories throughout like throughout at least my childhood and many other people's um these people are getting absolutely taken advantage of um and i just wanted to kind of bring that to the forefront um just because like i hate watching anyone go uh without being compensated correctly, people getting overworked. I have been a um, I have been a victim of being overworked and self-inflicting myself with that. Um uh, just because the feeling of not of feeling like I'm being left behind or whatnot. Um I can relate very heavily to that. Definitely not at the scale that these people have. Uh but yeah it's um it's it's a it's just a really big uh, overarching problem within an entire industry that the industry itself is not talked about enough, and the people behind the industry are not uh, talked about enough or praised well enough. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to bring that to attention. I don't know how much time that took because I haven't been paying attention to that at all, and I've just been rambling. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much no. Everything. You
1: definitely made it within the five minutes. Cool. Approved. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Approved. Man, that's really sad.
2: Yeah, so go out there like these people that like who created these games that we play like Yu-Gi-Oh and these shows like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto. Show some love to them. Uh, I don't know exactly what we can do. Um, I know there's people Try trying to, to warn
1: work... me is like the number one. Th- I think <laughs> th- they are actually say to do.
2: There's either a Patreon or a GoFundMe for a studio um that i I could not find this I looked for it um, for a few minutes uh, and it's a studio that is dedicated to um, trying to compensate uh both mangaka and animation uh animation artists all in the same in a very fair way uh, while also providing things like health insurance and all that uh, something that's very different from what the, how these people usually get treated so. I don't know, so hopefully someone out there can find that and give it the proper um attention it deserves. Yeah.
0: If you find it, I
2: can put it in the show notes. Hell yeah. But yeah, that's my uh that's my quick this for this week.
1: <laughs> Man, what a depressing Christmas episode we've made. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Hopefully it gets better yeah. next week. I don't know.
2: Uh, I was I was originally gonna I was originally going to talk about like all the awesome stuff that's come out of it and just the, the more I thought about it and the more that I looked into it um, the more horrible, horrible shit that I saw
1: <laughs> Jeez. yeah, go show some love to them, go show some love to Adam Sandler, it seems like in the holiday spirit we should be doing that um, just as kind of an end note uh, because I just figured this out, did you know that Eight Crazy Nights actually bombed in the box office? Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah million budget only made 23.8 million. Go watch Eight Crazy Nights, go stream it on some streaming platform, and please help raise that number. Um poor guy. Poor poor guy. Hey, Hmm. see you guys next week.
0: This episode of Entertain This was written by Alex Steele with additional commentary from Michael Savoya and Nick Mustakangis. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with additional music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.